0: anything like that. So if you head over to Airbnb and search Elk Cross and Getaway in the PA Wilds, you'll find my listing there and you can rent out my house, you send us a message, and inquiry that you're interested in it and mention that you heard it on the podcast here, then we'll get you 10% off of your first day.
1: Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host,
0: Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Spartan Forge. On today's episode, I am joined by Jacob Sklenner of the Hunting Beast and the Wild Calling. Jacob has had one hell of a season tagging bucks in three different states in completely different landscapes. We discuss Jacob's work ethic, scouting regimen, determining the age of deer sign, stories from all of these hunts using cell cameras and much more. The one story that that I think you would really like to hear about and just the way that Jacob read the sign, used historical intel with the with the current situation that he was seeing and and sign to be able to make a play on a, an absolutely beautiful Wisconsin marsh buck. I think there's a lot to learn from that story. And, um, uh, so I, I, think, uh, there's a lot to, to pull from this, this entire episode here. And, and that hunt of Jacob's is available on his YouTube channel, which he talks about here in this, uh, episode on this week's mountain buck Monday story of the week. We have a sor- story coming from Sammy Esh out of Pennsylvania. So Sammy wrote in, we had pictures of this buck starting last year, fall of 2022, I had a camera over a community scrape for the past three years, but typically only left it out throughout the fall months. This year, I left it out all year, and the licking branch was used by deer nearly daily, year-round. This buck was a regular all summer from June all the way up to a few weeks before the season. I typically wait to hunt this spot until mid to late October, but decided to give it a try an opening day. I set up on a heavy trail in a transition area about 80 yards downwind of the scrape and my camera. A mature buck, a small eight came in right after daylight and I drew on him before I could settle my pin on him. I heard another deer coming from behind me. So I turned my head and here comes the wide eight with the smaller buck at 15 yards broadside. I swung a 180 in my saddle while at full draw to get the spot the wide 8 was coming to. He stopped at 25 yards and I shot. My arrow deflected off the branch and unfortunately hit him high and back, but he dropped immediately. I quickly knocked another arrow and sent a second shot through his heart and he was dead in seconds. He was a brute and field dressed at 202 pounds. It is a crazy experience to be tagged out in the first half hour of the season here in PA especially a target deer. I couldn't be happier with my first public land archery buck. Well, congratulations, Sammy, because that is an uh, incredible first public land archery buck and here in PA to just opening day. I mean, a lot of things from that story are pretty impressive and pretty cool that you were able to change and uh, be able to to change focus from the one buck to the next one I can't say I would have been able to do that I would have been usually when I see something and I'm ready to shoot I go tunnel vision on it so I give you credit for for being able to do that but anyways if anyone wants to check out the the photos of this deer head over to east meets west hunt on instagram and east meets west outdoors on facebook you can send in your submissions to my email bow east meets put in the subject line Mountain Buck Monday and I'd love to hear your stories a few pictures just a short paragraph or two to be able to share with the audience here and uh, share through social media so hope uh, everyone keeps sending them in because I've been getting quite a few of them here especially in the last month or so with the rut and gun seasons and everything and and uh, looking forward to sharing those. Other than that, the only news I have this week is that uh, I have some of the apparel items over on the EastMeetsWestHunt.com website. I have some of the apparel items on sale and uh, just some of the few few of the items there, excuse me. And so you can go over if you want to get some Christmas gifts or check that out. I always appreciate the support with some of the the apparel stuff. And there are a few new hat designs up there now as well. Uh, So check that out. And uh, other than that, I just appreciate everybody listening. And if you do like this podcast, you find it valuable, I would really appreciate it if you share it with your friends, your family, anyone you think you could help out, and leave a rating and review wherever you're listening to it. With that being said, I hope you have a great rest of your week, and we will talk to you soon. All right, we're live. Jacob Sklenner. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. How are you, Bo? I'm good, man. It's it's good to get you on the podcast here. Uh it was it was funny. We were just chatting here beforehand and and we've messaged back and forth on Instagram over the years here. And you just sent me uh some pictures of just having a phenomenal season. <laughs> and I was just like, I just got back home and everything. I was like, dude, love to have you on the podcast and talk, Cause I see how hard you work at, at what you do. And I think that's, that's really awesome. And I wanted to get to chat with you. And you're like, yeah, I'd love to. And I'm like, are, what are you available today? <laughs> and you're like, yeah, yeah, I can get out of, I'm getting out of work at this time and whatever. And, and so thank you for, for making that happen on a short notice. And it's funny because normally like when I have guests on, I try to like, have you know some stuff prepared and kind of do a little bit more research and this is kind of fly by the seat of the pants but i i kind of like i kind of like it in the the same respect
1: yeah dude this season has been i mean the theme fits because this season has been a fly by the seat of my pants um kind of the whole time uh i i started it hunting completely new terrain like i i i grew up in this area of wisconsin never really hunting it and then i moved to southwestern wisconsin hunting hill country and now i'm back Back home. And uh, so this whole year, no historical data, like just complete, you know, every property I touched this year, every time I killed was uh, nothing I'd ever been or been to or seen before. So this podcast really fits then. (laughs) You just got to make it happen on limited time.
0: I I like that. That's, that's really cool. But we're, before we get into that a little bit, I'd love for you to give a little bit of a background on who you are and kind of, you know, how you kind of got obsessed with chasing deer.
1: Yeah. So, um, so I, uh, I really started getting obsessed with deer hunting, uh, kind of at the latter end of my high school years. Um, really specifically freshman year of college. Um, When I was younger, it was all your traditional deer camp kind of stuff, uh, going way up to northern Wisconsin, the Florence area, hunting uh, the Whisker Lake wilderness area, large, large piece of land. And there were not many big deer out there. And we were really, really excited if during a one week gun season, we saw two deer and those two deer usually got shot. And so (laughs) (laughs) that's, that's how it was, man. And, and, uh, man, I was obsessed with it. I loved it. I didn't care about the cold. I didn't care about sitting out there for forever. And um I just remember having little success and, and being the guy in camp that I always found a way to get it done even when I was ten, twelve years old. And uh then I realized like towards the latter end of my 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 high school tenure that uh I could do this more than just seven days out of the year. So I was like, that's pretty cool. I should probably start bow hunting. So I went on a couple bow hunts uh late in my uh high school years and then uh found those Blood Brothers DVDs and, and all of Dan's stuff uh, collecting dust in the basement and uh, decided to take it with me to school and dive into it and learn about it. And uh, holy cow, <laughs> that, I, I mean, as you hear, probably so many guys you've had on this podcast, uh, they get their start on the forum, watching them DVDs and stuff. And uh, man, that just dove head over heels for me. Um,
0: and at the That's time- On the on, the, on the hunting beast forum you're talking about? Yeah, yeah.
1: So yeah, like, gotcha. um, I, I started by looking at those DVDs did some Googling and stuff like that and then found the forum and, and, uh, I was kind of like what Andy was at first where I just had an account and I was just sitting in the background trying to collect information, eventually had to ask some questions and stuff like that. But, but most of it was kind of quiet observing. It wasn't always like, you know, interacting and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, man, I just, I loved that. And, uh, so I, I went to UW Platteville in Southwestern Wisconsin and, uh, for those that don't know, I, I moved from southeastern Wisconsin. It was marsh country, flatland, farm country, and um, then moved to southwestern Wisconsin, which is bluff country, Mississippi River, ag up top, kind of aggressive hills. And uh, it's completely, completely new. Um, so I didn't know what a thermal was. I didn't know what time of year deer, or what time of day deer bedded. Like I didn't, I was one of those guys that thought the rut changed on the temperature all the time, like all sorts of stuff like that, like I had believed every stereotype in the book, but I had very little like formal education on deer hunting, so it allowed me to start learning from the right resources and uh really kind of like um hammer your instincts correctly you know and so in uh I wrestled all throughout high school um placed in state a few times and then, uh, went on to wrestle in college at UW Platteville and I earned a mechanical engineering degree there. So a lot of my mindset stems from areas of hard work and data analytics and, and taking things at absolute face value rather than for opinion. And you'll hear that in a lot of like the tactics I probably talk about. Um, and, and I've talked about in a lot of other podcasts too, but, um, yeah, so I, I just kind of evolved into deer hunting through that. Um, In uh, college, I went. I was there for five seasons worth of deer hunting, and um, I ended up killing four bucks on four different properties that I had never stepped foot on the year before. Uh, I just kept losing a lot of the public lands I hunt, Um, and uh, yeah, I've I've only hunted public land in my life. Uh, I've hunted a couple pieces of private land, but never killed on it. And uh, I'm strictly just hunting public here on out. And this was the first year since I graduated I'm back in southeastern Wisconsin, hunting the marshes and the public land around here.
0: Oh, that's, that's, that's pretty awesome. And, and uh, I mean, it makes sense that you're a wrestler with, uh, with the mindset and just like, you know, it's all on your back sort of deal versus there's no, there's nobody else to blame when it comes down to doing, you know, to doing anything and just kind of grinding it out. Like that's a very common trend.
1: Yeah. And for sure. And I was actually, um, so Heartland was, or, yeah, Heartland, Wisconsin, is where the first Askren Wrestling Academy opened. And so the first day that opened, I took their first classes, and all throughout high school, I wrestled there and would return for college. And people who don't know what Askren Wrestling Academy is, is Ben Askren, who's kind of a revolutionary of the, the wrestling, the way Dan was at his time, kind of a revolutionary of, you know, of hunting. And I guess I forgot to mention, I do film for the Hunting Beast and make videos for them, too. Um, part of my one of my breakthrough hunts was how I kind of started with the hunting beast. But, um, I, I learned quickly from Dan and Ben alike that, uh, the way to get stuff done was to work your ass off. And so, um, I got examples from, um, you know, Ben would bring in guys like Tyron Woodley. He would host camps with Jordan Burroughs. I got to wrestle with Kyle Snyder a bunch. Um, I got to wrestle with a lot of the Penn state guys and a guy that you actually had on, I didn't get to wrestle with, unfortunately, but, uh, um, oh, Bo Nickel. Bo Nickel, yeah, dude. I yeah. looked up to that guy like crazy, but um he's awesome. But but uh, yeah, I got to meet Jason Olf, a bunch of his teammates and stuff like that, Zane Rutherford. But um so yeah, just surrounded by examples of what greatness looks like in different aspects of life and um just the common denominator was working very hard and having an extreme desire. And if you had some guys that had a level of intelligence with it, like Ben does and Dan is analytic and uh, a few other people, you saw those people be the real outliers, you know, like there, it wasn't always enough to just care about it and want to do it. But when you involved kind of an intelligence with it, it really exploded. And so I was never, you know, I'm not the most experienced guy out there in the deer woods, but I knew that I can rely on my brain and, and my analytical ability to, kind of get a leg up and get the most out of every experience I get. And that's quickly how I have, you know, I I guess had the success I have had to this point.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's, uh, that's pretty awesome. And, and, and it's funny, you know, I've heard quite a few guys, you know, talk about, you know, the hunting beast DVDs and, and watching them. And, and honestly, I don't think I've ever seen any of them, um, besides some of this, I've watched Dan's stuff on YouTube, but I, I'd never had the DVDs and stuff, uh back in back in the day and and also I mean it probably comes out in my style a little bit where, you know, I've mostly been, you know, a rut hunter if you want to put it under that Mm. that category because that's when I had my time off of work or you know, time off of school or whatever it was at that time frame. And that's the way my dad was, so it's just like we just kind of went down that that rabbit hole and and but I've learned a lot from Dan's stuff since then you know with YouTube and and then just through a bunch of other people who are you know somewhat descendants if you want to call it of <laughs> Dan's Dan's philosophy and right. and thought process on it so that's that's uh it's pretty cool to to be able to see that but yeah
1: there's a lot I differ from Dan too I know we're we're hammering this subject right now but but uh I am um, part of my learning is understanding that every situation is kind of different and and that will come out in the nature of which I answer questions, but I never wanted to just blindly believe in a source or what someone said. And so my process is always oriented around, okay, there's this theory, how do I disprove it? Like the, the, the scientific method is not to try to get the correct answer. It's to disprove the theory and make it wrong. And if you can't prove it wrong, then it's, the truest it could be. So, I have never vetted anyone harder than I've vetted Dan. You know, I've never taken a tactic and just blindly um, followed it and then had it succeed once and call it gospel. So, kind of, I guess, a huge attribution to the success that I've had this year in particular has been not just blindly believing what people have told me because there are cases in every single one of my hunts that if I took the advice I'd gotten from people I do really respect, I would have failed. So um, I I love Dan, but um, I don't completely subscribe to every single thing he says just blindly. I don't think it's I, the same way I wouldn't expect someone to listen to every single thing I say, Yeah, you know, or, but or, I, I like or your myself, style. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I take a lot from you and I take a lot from um, a lot of the people you have on. And I think it's important that everyone kind of, you know, goes across the board to learn what they they need to.
0: No, I think that's, I think that's super important to what you said, because, and, and the thing is everybody out there, no matter how much success they have or, or don't have, has, has their own thought process based on their experiences. Now, like I, I've never hunted the bluff country in Wisconsin specifically. Have I hunted areas that might look somewhat similar? Yeah. But that doesn't mean that it completely translates over, you know, for example, you know, when it comes down to like bedding. You know, I, I I believe the way a lot of the places I hunt in Pennsylvania don't subscribe to any of the, the buck betting, you know, gospel t- tactics that are out there and and the way they are. But then I went to places in Ohio that I feel like fall a little bit more in line with it. And then, you know, I go to West Virginia and that looks a little different. New York, that's a little bit different. And each place has these own little things. So, like, you you got to take everybody's advice and thoughts you know, I, I, I learned so much from everybody, but I take everything with a grain of salt as far as like, does this actually apply hundred percent to my area? Maybe I can take 24% of that and apply it and then use my own judgment to be able to to help. And I think that's, that's kind of where you become your own hunter and based off of those experiences and what you see and, and be able to, to, I guess go with there. And I think that that's, I think that's really cool. It kind of sounds like what you're saying as far as like, you're not, you know, even though you've learned, you know, right under, you know, one of the most notorious guys, as far as with, with certain styles of hunting, it's not that you, you might've learned some things from them, but it's not, that's not who you are, uh, you know, you know, as looking in the mirror, I guess.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You're spot on, man. It's just, you know, developing your skill and, and, and taking everything. I mean, Andy says it all the time. Like he, he ends almost every conversation I've ever had with him with, I learned something from you. And I realize there's plenty of times I've talked to him and haven't taught him Jack. And, um, you know, he, (laughs) he probably says it to a lot of guys. And the thing is, he's always looking to learn, you know, he's, he's a learner. And so, and he's one of the guys I, I hold highest and, you know, of, of anyone in the hunting industry. And so I think, um, yeah, that perspective, the entire thing that you're, you're describing there is just spot on that you need to just keep learning and uh, consider how it plays in your situation and not just blindly trust any one thing.
0: Well, you know, and w- one example I'll give to of another person who I highly respect that hunts completely different environment than me is, is Lee Ellis uh, from Seek One, who is Just a really good deer hunter, even though that, you know, most of the stuff he's hunted has been suburban stuff, which is different than the stuff I've done. When he came here and hunted with me and my family, I was like, the whole time, you know, he was he hung out with my dad a lot and he was just picking his brain constantly, just asking questions, never like, Oh, I, I know this, or I know, just asking questions, asking questions, asking questions, and then formulating his own thoughts mm-hmm. based off of that. And I think like you recognize that in those people that are just, that are successful people. And like, I, I do believe, and I've, you know, I won't say it to Lee's face, but I'll say it to other people that I believe that, you know, if he would come here and spend a couple of years hunting, that he could be a very successful hunter in the big woods, uh, you know, like he is in, in the suburbs, you know, maybe not 215 inch deer cause they're not really here, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Right. You know, for right. what, for what success is, uh, uh, dictated, but yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's pretty cool, but I'd love to, I'd love to talk a little bit about uh, your season and kind of getting a little bit of some stories here. So you're saying this is kind of your first year, like after you're out of college and just being able to be a little bit more free as far as what you're able to do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it, you know, it's a huge, it's a huge transition. Um, so being out of college, uh, time has completely shifted. Um, I, uh, I, I, the the big transition of being out of college is the new terrain obviously there's jack for cattail marshes and tamarack marshes uh in western wisconsin and that's pretty much all i'm hunting right now so it's uh it, it, but at the same time there's plenty of things you can learn um that that are somewhat synonymous between the two terrains if you can dig into it deep enough but um yeah so that was a huge change obviously on, on the forefront and then um the other big change is I went from a wrestling and school schedule which was like 5 days a week workouts at 5:30 a.m. um workout set and practice at 4 2 hours each um and then competing on weekends 8 months out of the year from that to um now I just have work and so I have Lift in the morning, go to work at 6.30, get off at 3.30, and home free. You know, I can do what I want most days. And so, um, I didn't have many weekends to hunt. So, so kind of my morning hunting was limited quite a bit. But uh, I got to hunt quite a bit, which was pretty great. Um, And uh, when I graduated in December, I immediately went to scouting right away. And uh, that's the thing that stayed consistent is I've walked until I couldn't anymore many, many times. And, uh, the only difference was I wasn't being exhausted, falling up hills. I was filling my boots up to waist height and muck and water on many, many different icy occasions. And, uh, (laughs) yeah, I mean, there, things change a lot in terrain situation. Uh, but like we were talking about, and that's, I'm sure this will be a thing that rings through with everything we say. Um, there's some things that stay consistent, some things that change. You need to analyze the situation, see what fits and what fit was working your ass off no matter what. And, um. Yeah, I I don't think I've ever scouted as hard as I as I did this off season.
0: So, do you how how much do you feel like that off season scouting helped helped you in this and like going into the season? Because there's I always hear back and forth on I'm a big off season scouting guy and I rely a lot on that information. And but what 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 are your thoughts on on that? So this is this
1: is gonna be cool. Um. So you're actually going to see in the video, uh, part of the reason that this one's going to be released on my channel and not the hunting beast is because I have video of me scouting the exact bed that this buck rose out of uh, in spring scouting form. And it's called closing in on the kingpin. And he was the kingpin of that area. So it's really cool. There was an absolute immediate direct correlation. And I'm good friends with Randall Eric. And uh, he would send me videos. We do uh, Marco Polo. And he would send me videos where he's like, I don't know what you're doing, man. You're doing all this walking. He's like, you're just killing yourself. He's like, them bucks are going to be doing different things this year. But And they're like, he's so right, you know, like they do different things. Um, but my perspective is any moment I can spend out in the woods, any moment that I can spend in the marsh or learning, you know, is a not a wasted moment in my opinion. So I did, at, I mean, at least 300 miles of scouting before the season even started. Um And that was all winter long, all spring long, all summer long, 90 degree heat to negative five degree temperatures didn't matter. I was out there walking whenever I had a moment, whether it was me racing out after work and I only have an hour to walk, like I was doing it every single time. And so many of the cases of my hunts this year were not directly applicable to spring scouting. But my spring scouting got me familiar with beds. It got me familiar with sign that was away from beds. It got me familiar with direction of travel. And it got me in recognition of what the area is like, how I'm going to navigate it, access routes. So it basically got me to step one, you know. And so I knew where to start. I knew where to go if I wasn't sure if I believed in what I saw spring scouting. I was going to go in there and scout my way in and I knew where I would see rubs if this was going to be fresh. I knew where the scrapes would be. I knew where to look for tracks. I knew how to get in so I wouldn't go up to my head in water, um, which is very important in the marshes around here. A few people have been found actually freezing in the marshes within this county the last few days. So um, yeah, that, that was endlessly uh, helpful. But you know, it, it's not always going to be like, oh, I can just trust whatever I saw spring scouting. I'm going to go hang a fresh set and kill this deer. You know, it's it's not really going to work like that 90% of the time. In this case, it happened to drop almost to a T of what I saw spring scouting and what I had determined. Um, but but again, my whole thing is just going out there, observing the land yourself and forming your own opinions. And uh, the way I record things in Onyx and in Notes, Um, and Spartan Forge actually was a huge player this season. Um, that, that imagery where you change months basically, and you can see where the trails develop. I mean, there's, there's stuff we'll talk about off air, but Spartan Forge is such a, was so integral to quickly getting on at least direction of travel and betting in marshes that it's like the first time I've ever realized something that I don't want to share in a podcast (laughs) with it because I know it'll be available (laughs) to everyone. So like, uh, Get Spartan Forge and figure out how to use it. I would recommend to people, but I'm not telling you exactly how to use it. I'm just leading you guys to water here. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was my first year using Spartan Forge. I was nuts. But, um, but yeah, so just doing that and then truthfully finding out what applied, recording what your initial thoughts are. And then when you go throughout that season, you experience failure. You can revise that. You can say, okay, why did I think that this sign was going to be in rut? And it's been blown up this whole early season. You know, why did I think this and that? And so it's kind of correcting that, that little false, um, that false conception, that misconception you have initially. And then sometimes it's affirming something. So it's like, man, every time I've seen a tamarack rub, I've been been within a week of when that tamarack has been rubbed. Like I was spot on. Or every time I find a bed in this situation, I have always guessed perfectly when it's going to, when that deer is going to be there. So like I start to form what I have extreme confidence in. And so... I know what needs to be worked on in the next postseason, and I know what I can rely on in this current season. And um, a lot of that, people will say, like, "Well, they're not going to be in that bed," you know, when you think they are, because that sign is from last season, and they're going to be doing something different this season. I was like, "That's awesome!" Because if I was wrong, I just learned. So, like, I'm, I'm all for anytime anyone can get in the woods, as long as they're not blowing out the deer they're trying to hunt.
0: Have you ever wanted to have Levi Morgan, Andy May, Johnny Stewart, and others available at all times? Well, you can with Cyber Scout from Spartan Forge. Cyber Scout is like the chat GPT for outdoors men and women. You can ask it any questions related to bow building, scouting, hunting, survival, and a whole lot more. I think you'll be impressed with how it responds. Cyber Scout is currently out now for a select group of early beta testers and will be available to the rest of you really soon. The entire app is a complete tool for planning your hunt with incredible aerial imagery, mapping, journaling, deer prediction, and some of the most accurate and detailed weather data. Use the code EASTMEETSWEST to save 20%. And if you're still on the fence, give the 14-day free trial a chance at spartanforge.ai. CVA has been America's number one selling muzzleloader brand for over a decade. Hunting with a muzzleloader opens up a ton of hunting opportunities across the U.S. And I've been using the Acura series. But they don't only make badass muzzleloaders. Their line of centerfire rifles are great quality and not terrible on the wallet. The Cascade Shore barrel is ideal for tight quarters, deer drives, and quick shots in the big woods. You can check out their line of muzzleloaders, rifles, and accessories for every season and every range at bpioutdoors.com CVA. If you use the code EastMeetsWest10, you'll get 10% off of all CVA products, which includes rifles, muzzleloaders, and accessories. Yeah, you know, and, and the thing you just said about postseason scouting is... And I love the way that you phrased it as far as you're learning so much more, even if that sign isn't exact and of like, okay, the way they're traveling or maybe a different bucks in there and that buck got killed that made some of that sign before, but you start learning things about it. I mean, I, uh, one of the areas that I'd hunted this, this past year, I actually didn't spring scout it a whole lot, but I've also spent eight years hunting this area. So I've, I've learned a lot of things about it, but I just kept pulling from that memory bank as the season went on of like, I remember, you know, I was like struggling of, all right, they weren't doing exactly what I thought. And I'm like, all right. And I'm like, Oh, I remember, you know, in 2018, this deer, was doing this around this time and I'm looking back at trail camera photos and just memories and being able to move and find these routes and, and using that, that data to that I had in my head and finding this sign from even years past that still translated over. It doesn't always, it's not ex- always exact, but it gets you in, it gets you in the house. You know what I mean? It unlocks that door to get you in the house. And then you figure out which room you need to be in based off of, of that knowledge and. Sometimes it does work out where it's like, this is exactly what I found in the spring, but sometimes it doesn't. And the thing about access routes, that's another thing that it probably about four or five years ago, I really started paying attention more to that about like when I'm doing the scouting, cause I'd find all these spots. I'm just, you know, doing my scouting and just trying to get as many miles on as possible, but I wasn't really paying attention to what I was doing in that, in that process from a, from an access perspective, because then you get into October and there's always leaves on the trees and it's a little bit harder to see that picture than when it's in the spring and everything's off. And although you might be accessing when there's those leaves on the trees, you can't necessarily see the route. Like, okay, maybe this is the quietest way that I need to be able to go. But when you have that and you kind of mark that stuff ahead of time, man, that helps so much to be able to get you in there.
1: Yeah, and you get a feel for what it's like when the leaves come off too. So it's like yeah. you know, you're you're getting a, a a multi-layered feel. Like you you what I really like is like you can see sign and gauge you you can learn what old sign looks like in your area. You know, you can learn all sorts of different stuff. So like there's many times that I will pass a rub or have a buck make a rub on camera and um obviously a good buck makes a rub on camera. Like you want to go hunt that the next day, most of the time, you know? Um, and, and a lot of times that timing's off and you don't kill them and whatever. But I make a point to every time I get a buck on camera um, and I can hunt it and and the, the situation lines up, even if I'm tagged out, I will go there. I will see if I can find his track. I will associate his track to his picture so now I don't need to get him on camera to know that buck was there cuz that track is usually distinct it's a certain length width there's certain features like chipped toes extra spread you know a shape um so now every time I see that track it's like I just got a fresh trail camera picture Same thing with rubs. I can date when that rub was made. I can date when that scrape was made. And then I can walk by that thing. And every time I walk by that thing, I get a picture of what a week older rub looks like or two weeks older rub looks like. And so now every time I see a rub on that kind of tree, like I can tell pretty damn quickly from my encyclopedia of rubs on that tree, how old that thing is. And then next year I'm on that area before that rub's even made and I shoot the deer that's coming in to make it.
0: Yeah, dude, that's... That's phenomenal information and 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 uh, an analytical approach to figuring out those deer tracks are so underutilized oh, yeah. and looked at. My, my cousin Mason, we just recorded a podcast last night about how he killed this ten plus year old deer again. He's just like, oh, in an area <laughs> that he had no cameras this year. Yes, he had no dude. cameras and just going off of finding tracks and sign and and just. Man, I, I love that aspect of it. Of really that woodsmanship. That's next level to to be able to learn these deer, and and it takes it takes a a, a special person and and kind of mindset to be able to do that. Yeah, it's it's tough, but yeah. it,
1: it's worth it. So it. It's a manual process at first. You kind of got to force <laughs> yourself to to swallow the pill. But I gotta say, uh, it'll become second nature. I just tell people, like, you're forming your instincts. You know, it's going to be a manual process. But if you start in the right headspace and you keep hammering that out, like, you're just going to – it's going to come natural. I mean, you look at Andy May. Like, I panic every time I see a post notification from Andy May because he's just killing stuff so often this year. Like, I messaged him today. He put out some ad – and on the front of it was a bear. I'm like, dude, you've killed so many deer, and now I just panic because I thought you killed a bear as well. I was like, <laughs> this guy's just on fire. But but that's a guy that did the hard work on the front end and and forced himself to record all these things. He journals all his hunts, and now he has that instinct formed, you know. And and we're all seeing the results, and we're like, how does this guy do this? How does he, you know, f- have this success consistently? And how is he so efficient? And it's like dude, you just are not seeing all that went into that, you know, like this guy yeah. is not here by accident.
0: No, you're, you're a hundred percent right. And that's, that's Andy's, Andy's one of the best that's, that's ever walked this earth in my opinion, when it comes to deer hunting and, and, uh, I, I love, and he's one of the most humble guys too, you know, when you, when you talk to him and, and I really appreciate that about him specifically but let's let's jump in a little bit about the the story of um or i guess how did this season kick off what was like the first cuz you know you, you shot three bucks so i'm not even sure where to start there but what you know talking about wisconsin there i guess since that's what topic kind of we we're on how do you want to roll into that
1: yeah yeah so um this this season uh my first hunt this year was uh opening day nebraska uh battle of the bows with the hunting beast um i got on three extremely good or two extremely good deer out there uh i ended up killing one in my first spot my first spot and stalk ever was on like a 150s i got up him bedded at three yards i could have shot him in the neck and i decided to wait he caught a bit of my wind and it immediately exploded out that's all on the hunting beast in my channel so you can see me cry a little bit there um but then the next hunt i killed my my buck out there which is a nice little eight point um so that's how my season started. It was really cool. First out of state trip, um, second spot and stalk hunt ever. Uh, killed a deer. First one was very sad, but was cool nonetheless. And um, yeah, and so um, I was ready to roll coming into Wisconsin, you know. And and
0: well, well hold on, hold on a second. I want to <laughs> sorry, go, I gotta me. go. No, 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 you're good. But I I think it's funny because I was looking back at our messages back and forth today, and. You had you had sent me a message on August six, and you're like, "Hey, do you have any uh, open country podcasts that you oh, recommend right, me yeah. listening to?" You're like, "I'm heading to Nebraska, and I think I'd sent you one from Zach Farrenbaugh. It was and, great, yeah, and 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 uh, maybe Tony Treacher's. I can't remember exactly which ones I recommended, but mm-hmm. I th- I thought that was that was funny. And then you go yeah. there and 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 you shoot a deer, and I mean, spot stalking is is not easy, so that's pretty impressive you know, being able to get in there, uh, that close, especially on that, you know, on that big deer and, and, and shooting any deer spot and stock is a, an absolute, that's, that's really good to be able to do.
1: (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I had very high winds when I got very close to that deer. So that was cool. I mean, that helped a lot, Yeah, you know, there's a lot of detail and I guess me paying attention to detail helps a lot, you know, so I'm able to, I was able to get close in that situation. Um, and yeah, man, like Zach Ferenbaugh is at the top of my list for people to listen to when it comes to that. And uh, yeah. and those podcasts you, you forwarded me were, were spot on. I actually was listening to them beforehand and on the way up. And um, there's a lot of those tactics that one that I directly, uh, I somewhat disobeyed because of lack of confidence. And that was to just sit back when you're on the edge. But I was worried about shot deflections. I was worried that the deer wasn't where I thought he was um and all sorts of stuff like that um you know i would have killed that deer if he hadn't shifted eight yards from where i'd last seen him um but i got a little bit impatient so <laughs> you showed me the right thing to do and then on the next year i stayed patient and killed him so <laughs> it were, it ended up yeah. working
0: out um well the, the and you know with spot and stock and i actually never talked about um our south dakota mule deer hunt we went on but i i had stocked a couple of deer and the hardest thing I've learned is when you can't necessarily see that deer, and you, you know, like you see him go into a patch of trees, or you think he's here. That's like the biggest m- messing with your mind of like as you're going in of like, is he actually here? You know, it's funny the one one buck I, I stalked in on. It was a mule deer, nice four by four. My dad was up on the glassing point. And he's filming. I gave my dad, I put my my tri- my camera on the tripod. We have like 30 mile per hour winds and I got this lightweight tripod and he's trying to hold it down and run a camera, which he's, you know, hadn't really done before. So he's, and he actually got really good film, but I, I never, I didn't even know I blew the buck out because it was so windy and everything. But you literally see this like group of like two or three pine trees and you see me go Crawling into it. And then, like, three minutes later, you see the buck blow out and look back. And I never even seen him blow out. Like, we oh. must, it was like so thick underneath there, but I couldn't figure out where he was. And I'm just kind of like crawling. And apparently, I, I had to have been within like seven, eight yards of him, like oh. right on top of him Gosh. when he, when he, when he blew out. But it was just, spot and sock, I guess, is, it's, it's a, it's a tough, a tough game to, uh, to be able to play. And I learned out there the, the, the patience aspect because then another group I had three bucks at bedded in the timber wasn't exactly sure where they were. And I just pushed a little bit too hard without getting confirmation instead of being patient. And I ended up blowing them out. And, and uh, you know, so I went, when I went into West Virginia, which I haven't told that story yet. And I was going to say I you got look. it right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know if I got it right, but I just learned of like, whenever I like had this like impulse to just like, do something a little hard. I was like, just take your time. You know, read the situation. It's like, you know, and it would be like the wind would blow once every thirty seconds, and then I'd move. Well, then one time, you know, it was like the, the gusts were small, and they were. It was like once every ten minutes, so I couldn't move for that time. But it's like, mm-hmm. do all those details right, and you'll it'll pay off more than than trying to rush it. But anyways, I just spotting stalking stuff is so cool to me. And I think that's awesome that you got that done at the beginning of the season.
1: Yeah, man, you're, you're spot on. And I just think it's so, I love what I love. I mean, I'm not in hunting for inches of antler at all. Like I love the experience. I love being able to share it with people. Um, and I just love what goes into the kill. I love all the moments before it. Um, I love all the moments after it. I, I obviously love shooting deer, but um, what, I, what really brings me appreciation to what I believe is my purpose on this earth is the people that surround me and the experiences I encounter on the way to the kill and in the moments after where all the hard work happens. And um, those are where I truly find myself. It's not in the result, it's in the work. And um, that's what I love so much about the process of spotting and stalking is all the spotting. Dude, you get to learn so much about deer, and in different yeah. terrains. You know, you like it's like you remove the trees from hill country and yeah. them sandhills, and you can see what those deer are doing. And like, man, it makes a lot of sense. Like they're doing the same motions. You know, like they're working this bench, they're coming up around this point. You know, like they're just doing so many similar things, and then they're also doing really different things. So like, you know, you get to learn a lot. There's no guessing, you know. I got that trail camera picture. I could guess where he went 100 yards later and what he did the rest of that day, but now I can see what that deer did. I can see how he interacted with those. You know, it, it's just really interesting to me. There's no doubt when it comes to things like that. So, yeah. Um, that was there's, cool. There's
0: there's so much application over and my cousin Mason talks about it all the time cuz he loves spot and stock mule deer hunting and he's like, that's made me a better whitetail hunter. Now not it's not that it's an exact correlation over, but he's like getting to watch these deer, the way they shift beds, you know, multiple times throughout the day. It's like, I know a lot of that's because of the sun and the shadows where you might not get as much of that, you know, in the hills and timber, but it's like, okay, that could be, you know, the thermal switching or the wind shifting. And they're, you know, moving around the different things throughout the day when you think they just go lay in, you know, one spot and, and there's just, there's so many things that if you just take the time to see what's in front of you and mm-hmm. think about it, like you can, you can start to learn and apply that to other situations.
1: Yeah. I texted you a picture by the way, uh, of that, that day two buck that I got right up next to. It's really hard to tell cause it's like a crappy version oh, yeah. of a phone scope, but, um, <laughs> that's the one I was like f- sub five yards from. Um, Ugh. yeah. So heartbreaker, um. <laughs> <laughs> but uh it was so cool man and it's it just stunk because i could see him so clearly the gopro doesn't pick it up really clearly you can see it but, but whatever that's some editing yeah. magic is the only reason you can really see it on the gopro but but yeah man that trip was man what a way to kick off the season and um yeah uh the day after i had told dan where i'd think that it would be a good place for him to set up because it lined up perfectly the, the problem is like we are so used to pressure And uh, this was a reoccurring theme. This happened in Ohio too, but we were so used to pressure and deer acting in a certain way. And we're like, Jesus, that spot is obvious. Like no way a deer would be there. And it took me observing one there, giving up a morning hunt so I could just observe, uh, which actually ended up in a chance at success, um, to learn about deer, you know, and being willing to give up a sit in a tree stand. And so I learned from that, obviously I got an opportunity. But then the next day after I killed, I was like, Dan, I, I stayed an extra day to help Dan and Eric scout and I was like, Hey, you guys should go to this area. Like it looks awesome. And Dan and Eric had scouted a bunch and they found some really good stuff on another property and they decided to go there. And I was like, you know what, just to give you closure, like I'll go over there, I'll glass and maybe in your guys' last day, you'll get on a good deer there. So I go over there and I spot another like, like monster, (laughs) like at 6am or 6pm, like the first buck that stood up out of that cover. I'm going to look for this picture was a toad and um, he was 20 yards from the tree that I said that they should consider setting up in. Um, So, yeah, it was cool to be right again on that. Um, I felt bad showing them that video after I'm sending it to you right now. But um, so it was cool. Like it was just a huge confidence booster leading into Wisconsin. And uh, it was funny because this was in like – somewhat marshy area mixed with sand hills, So it was like marsh tactics for a large part of it. Um, but that deer that I just sent you is actually smaller than the one that I got up to. It was still a very nice deer, but yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it was just such a huge confidence booster. And, uh, I could see, you know, there's plenty of things that, that Dan will say that I don't know if it always translates to the hills and stuff like that. Um, and a few other areas, but man, like the stuff he said in marshes was just like, spot on like he i think he's just so zoned in to our area of wisconsin and the way the marshes work around there and it was cool to see that replicate in nebraska and some of the marsh areas there like yeah he he was just right (laughs) you know and and that's why i was like dude i'm gonna get to an area i can observe and see this happen and you know worst case i don't get a deer but i get to prep for my wisconsin season right now and you know it ended up working out for the best
0: yeah now, so how did that, so how did that translate to Wisconsin? Like what time did you get back there to start hunting and what, what did that look like?
1: So got back there, we had a week before the season, did a lot of, uh, shining and glassing, identified a lot of nice deer. Um, I had cell cameras out too. you know, nothing crazy. I'm not coating the woods and cell cams, but I have, my approach this year was to set an extremely wide net, uh, be sporadic on high confidence areas. A lot of all year soaks, no checking cards, um, you know, I wasn't hunting cell cam data at all. Uh, I didn't want to fall into that kind of crutch that a lot of guys do where they just get a picture of a deer and they hope he does the same thing the next day when 90% of the time they don't, um, at least in my area, you know, maybe different elsewhere, but, but, um, so, you know, that, that widespread approach, um, was making it kind of difficult going into the year, but seeing the way that those deer acted in Nebraska, gave me some confidence and I knew that if I was starting to fail in Wisconsin, I could go back to scouting. I could go back to some form of observation and I would start, you know, seeing success. And so, um, you know, in Wisconsin, I found a lot of success right away. Actually. Um, it was really shocking to me. I thought it was going to go through a brutal season and not kill a deer or settle for something small. And, um, no, man, I, I, jumped right in the season. Um, I think, in my first week of hunting, I had four hunts that my target buck stood up, uh, in the bed I expected. Uh, this, these were different target bucks in different properties, four different target bucks stand up in the bed I expected to come from all under 80 yards and all of them made it less than 20 yards in daylight. So they would stand up a half hour before light was over. They made it 20 yards towards me, always in cattails. So I can't, like, shoot them. I can see them stand. I can see the brush moving. And then by the time light's over, they're starting to work to the edge of the cattails where I could shoot them. I get to see them. I can't shoot them. I have no camera light. So it's just like awesome for me. <laughs> like, I was like, heck yeah, I was right. I was in the absolute closest tree or setup that I could possibly get to their bed, uh, but it just didn't work out. So um, it was encouraging and frustrating at the same time. And so I went um, from September 16th, what was opener. And uh till September twenty eighth kind of doing that. And September twenty eighth, I got a cell cam picture of a freaking monster. Um he is uh a, a six by six, extremely clean twelve point buck. Uh that one I sent you pictures of, Bo. And um mm-hmm. yeah, I was like, okay, um this is my season from here on and uh <laughs> I decided that for the first time ever I was gonna focus on one specific deer and I was gonna do it in a terrain that I'd never encountered before. So uh, I was throwing all my chips in pretty early here. And um, yeah, he was a he was a stud and um, I spent most of the year chasing him. Uh, it seemed like I would get on, I would sit back and I would worry about pressuring him out of a certain area. And right around the time I would get a sit close enough to, to get on him, he would shift. And so I had placed, I'd kept a few cameras intentionally, a few SD card cameras intentionally. And I knew that if I got on a good buck like this, what I was going to do is deploy them in an area that I think he would shift to. So if acorns go out of phase, if I bump him out of a bed, I was going to place my security net as those cameras. If I hit rock bottom and I can't observe him where he's living, uh, I'm going to lean on those cameras a little bit and just do a scouting day to relocate. Um, so, you know, I, I started going after this deer. Um, there were four times, four different hunts that I was within range of him. Every single time, uh, the way I'd figured him out, was, uh, he was bedding in an area I didn't really expect him to, which was fragmites in the middle of cattails. And, uh, he, I would watch him go to bed and I would watch him exit bed from the tree closest to his bed, from the opportunity closest to his bed. And not a single time until October 26th did he exit cattails in daylight. There was never a time during shooting hours that he was in a position that he could be killed. Um, and that was many, many cell cam occurrences. I have like 150 pictures of this deer on camera, whether that be cell cam, SD card cams. Um, and so I was very familiar with how this deer was traveling. Um, I, I knew where I needed to be to kill him. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
0: The Mobile Hunters Expo is a consumer-based hunting show unlike any other. It provides an interactive learning experience where you can try all things mobile hunting and learn from the best in the business come experience an unbiased community-based environment where you can improve your hunting skills and find the right equipment for your needs i'll be speaking at the nor'easter show in mannheim pennsylvania at spooky nook sports from august 9th to 11th 2024 so come check it out or either of the other shows in uh, michigan and georgia you can purchase tickets online at the mobile or grab tickets at the door i'll see you there
1: um, and it just wasn't working out and I was never bumping him too hard until one day. Um, I had him come in and, uh, I exited out pretty clean and then, um, I realized I had left my GoPro up in the tree. So I had to walk all the way back. And, uh, the reason I got out clean cause the high winds and rain, I got back, tore apart my stand, brought my sticks up, came up, got the GoPro, packed it back up and on the way out. I believe I bumped him at like 10 yards. Um, yeah. So that was heartbreaking. Um, so that was the, not that occurrence, but that day i had had him within range of me in cattails. Um, but for, that was the third time that i had had him in range and then I bumped him afterward. And so I was like, I was like, I don't know what to do. Um, it's going to rain a bit tomorrow. Like I'm just going to, I'm going to give him a day of rest in this rain and, uh, I'm going to spend the next day all day after work scouting. And so, um, I, uh, I gave him the next day to rest. I figured he had shifted cause I had been all over him, um, and been really close to him. And I think this was a big enough intrusion for him to kind of shift. And so I, um, yeah, and there's a lot of tactics to, to how I got on this deer. Uh, I guess I haven't gone into a whole lot of detail, but, um, Every time I had seen him, his feet were dry, so I knew he wasn't coming from certain areas that had canals uh, where a lot of deer were getting mud up to their bellies almost from the deer that Mm. were crossing that. Um, A lot of the times I saw him, his ears were pinned back. He um, was chasing deer. He was chasing, almost every time I got him on camera, it was pushing another buck off, even if it was mid-September, early October, something like that. He would come in, ears pinned, like October 10th, even like pushing out other deer. Um, and so that last sit I did where I bumped him in the rain, um, I had access from a different direction waiting for a wind switch. And I saw that that cell camera that I had originally discovered him on had six new trails behind it and not going in front of it. Mm-hmm. And so I realized that the only reason he would ever cross in front of that camera again was with a doe or to push out another buck. And so that deer was using it a lot more than I knew. Unfortunately, I kind of ruined that pattern the day I discovered that. And so after that big bump, I came, I I got into work early, got out a little earlier. I got to the land at three o'clock, had a few hours of light to work with. And I believe this was October 26th, give or take a day or two. And, um, or October 27th, give or take a day or two. And so, um... I went in with my bow. I went in without a stand and I was literally running uh planning on literally running a loop and checking trail cameras. So I run down the access. I get to this first trail camera and I see that the day before he had showed up and it was the first time he had ever broken into daylight. And he was five minutes after shooting time, but about 30 yards onto dry land. So I was like, Oh my God, let's go. And I, Ran back to the truck. I think it was like a mile and a half. I did two mile and a half sprints. I dropped my gear, ran back to the truck, grabbed my stand, ran all the way back, panting like crazy. And then I started like just creeping the last few yards. And this was an area identified spring scouting, but um, that just a little added direction of travel um, and and actually using Spartan Forge to kind of see where the recent trails were popping up um, led me to believe he was actually using this bed that was about 150 yards away. And there was a tree I could get to that was 80 yards from his bed. And in between us was a sea of cattails. So I was like, he's going to head directly to me. It was a tree I had sat earlier in the year before I knew about him. And I was like, I know exactly how high to get up. I'm going to get up in this tree and I'm going to get set and he's going to come right in. And I texted Greg Litzinger. I texted all my buddies. I texted Josh Talker, Dan, like everyone was like, if this deer does what he did yesterday and he's a homeboy, he's actually one of these ones that does that for three days straight. Like, I'm going to kill him. Like, I'm killing this deer tonight. I had, like, I was so zoned in, you know? And so, I'm sitting there, I'm sitting there, and there's, there's red-winged blackbirds going off in these fragmites that I expect them to be bedded in, and all of a sudden, they all erupt out. And I'm like, oh, boy. And I'm watching the fragmites wiggle. I'm like, oh, my God, it's him. He's going to come. And so, um, it starts getting close to dark, and um, I'm not hearing anything. And I'm like, he's not coming through the cattails. So, I'm like got my release clipped. I got the camera rolling. I'm like, what's going on? And so about five minutes from dark, way behind me on a dike, a guy comes walking through with a headlamp shining in the marsh. And he was coming out from his hunt a little early and uh, ended up walking straight behind me and out. And I was like, I was like, damn it. So I let him work off. I got down. I didn't use my headlamp or anything. Uh, I didn't want him to know where I was hunting. And, um, I got down and I was at the base of my tree, wrapping my last stick onto my stand. And I hear him coming through the cattails toward me. And, um, I just stopped and I just sat there and he got three yards from me. And I recorded audio of this whole thing. I'll send you it after. But, um, he walked all the way up to me. I can hear him smelling. I can hear him chewing on leaves. Like he gets to where he would clear the cattails exactly in my 10 yard shooting lane. And, um my thermal starts to slowly drift back down into that marsh and uh, he blows out three yards from me. And I have like three minutes of audio of this buck blowing like 50 yards from me. So like if that guy didn't come in and hunt and make a bunch of racket coming in, I'm certain that buck would have come to me and been killed that day. And um, man, it's just the deepest sounding blow ever. Like, oh, (laughs) it's just so clearly him. And like, I can see him in, in the twilight, but you know, my My phone isn't pointed at anything, so you can't really see him on the phone. But, oh, it was just, like, so defeating. I was like, so two days ago, I was on this deer 600 yards away. And the next day, he shows up 600 yards away. And I almost kill him two days later on a 600-yard shift in a marsh that he's got to go through absolute hell to get there. So it was really cool because, like, I was within range of this deer two days apart on a huge shift. Um, and again, first time with this country, no historical data on this, on this deer. And so it, again, one of those confidence building situations, but emotionally crushing situations. But now it's like, where does he shift now? Like he's on route number three, everything else gets hunted pretty good. Like, and, and now I was nervous. And so I I gave it a couple more days of hunting and I was supposed to leave on, the 29th or 28th to go hunt with Jake Bush in Ohio and so um, I delayed that a little bit and um, gave a couple more sits at him didn't relocate them and then um, th- and then I went to Ohio and so I went to Ohio had a freaking blast saw a bunch of really nice deer uh, I just finished the video of that on my channel by the way and um, I ended up killing on my second on my last day there uh, the morning of my last sit um, was an awesome experience. Like I can't say enough good things about Jake. Um, and, but him and his buddy Drew Remington helped me drag out. And, uh, it was an awesome experience. So I'm, I'm driving home from that hunt just at the highest of highs. So happy bucking the truck in the back, you know, um, just reminiscing on everything. And I I get a call from my buddy, um, that I hunt with a lot. And I'm like, Hey Cam, what's up? And he's like, Hey dude, um, I'm going to send you a Facebook post right now. I'm going to send you a screenshot of this post right now. Um, Don't drive into a bridge. And I was like, what? And uh, it's a guy, um, I won't describe what he's using or what he's wearing, but uh, he's holding uh, my buck in his hands. You know, not my buck, but he's holding that 12-point in his hands. Yeah. And they weren't even good pictures of him, but it was enough that I knew it was him. Um, And uh, (laughs) that was really crushing. And so this was the buck that I had spent my entire season chasing. And um, I, I don't rely on camera intel. I, I rely on the intel I gained through these hunts and scouting into them. And there was not another deer that I had pursued that I had gained that intel that I value most. That There was not another deer that I had got the boots on the ground on. And I, I was like defeated and I just didn't know what to do. And I had about four hours to go on my drive home. And by the time I got home, I texted my friends and Jake. And I had already called them and told them what happened, but I, I texted them saying like, this is not going to stop me. Like, this is just going to light a new fire under my ass and I'm going to get after it harder than I ever have. And, um, at this point in my season, I had three days left to hunt. Um, and so I had an afternoon sit and two all day sits that I could do. And, um, I had gone from extremely happy to extremely crushed to pissed off and motivated all in like a few hours swing. And, um, and so when I was with Jake in Ohio, we got reception for a short bit and, uh, I had this cell cam over a bed I call the kingpin bed, which I had, I have a video closing in on the kingpin. It's a cell cam hanging 40 yards from the bed on the exit trail that I'd scouted in that video. And so I was like, Hey Jake, I know we're going over spots right now, but I need to check this picture because when a deer pops up on this camera, especially this time of year, it's going to be a special one. And it was, it was a really, really big 10 point, uh, with a 20 inch inside spread, uh, six inch brows. Like I could tell you all the tech, all the inches on this deer, uh, which we'll get to why, but, um, so, uh, it was a really, really nice buck and, um, yeah, I, uh, decided that that was my number two, you know, and, and there was a lot of other bigger deer I had on camera, but like I told you, Bo, um, I only classify deer as like my number one, number two, number whatever, um if I believe I know enough about them to kill them, if I know where they're bedding, I know why they're there. I know their timing and their direction of travel. That's what I need to classify a deer as one that I have confidence in killing. Um, and I began my pursuit that day for that deer. Um, yeah, so I got pictures of him in this bed that was, was marked. It was very large bed, different hair lengths in it when I had scouted it in the spring. Um, and I figured it was an area that either he was using all year in the early season, which my cell camera was telling me that wasn't the case, or it was an area that he was sitting with a hot dough that was easily defensible. Um, and this was on a tamarack root ball uh, that was a little elevated a bunch above the rest of the marsh. And so while I was gone, we got up some snow and rain, and that melted off the water level rose, and he pushed into this bed with this dough. And um, I would get, on um, one day I got pictures of him six different times during the day kind of pushing younger bucks off of this bed. Um And then I didn't get him much again. And then I went in to hunt him the afternoon uh, after he had showed up in the morning and uh nothing showed, but I had heard him stand up and I had heard another deer stand up and work another way in the marsh, like a hundred yards off out of another bed I had scouted. And so I was like, well, I mean, I don't know what deer that is, but I think it's him. You know, I'm just going to, I think he's running this area that deer wasn't running out of here. I think it's him. And so the next day I couldn't hunt and I got him all over that cell camera again. So I was just kicking myself at work all day. Like, gosh, I just want to go after him. Um, and now I'm down to to two days left in my season. And I'm just tossing and turning in my head what I'm going to do. And I was like, I, I was like, this is a deer I know I have to go after. I'm not just going to sit a funnel and pray to get lucky in a 130 or something like that. Like, I'm going to go after this buck um, and I'm not going to settle. You know, I'm not going to, just admit defeat or say this was too hard and lower my standards to just fill a tag. Um, and I was sick of that and I wanted to do something special and kill something special. Uh, and I just wanted to challenge myself really. And so, um, I decided that this was, I wasn't going to go sit a funnel. I was going to go after this deer again. And, um, that afternoon I went in to, a I took a different access route. I took a route to an area that I thought he would shift to and that he would exit to based on the betting I heard him stand up out of, um, I crossed, uh, a, a nighttime bed of a doe that had, uh, estrus in it, it very vivid estrus. Um, and I got into a tree that was a tamarack that I could easily fit both hands around. Um, and, um, never been in that tree before, never been in that spot before. And I decided this was going to be the spot. And so, um, I luckily got really good footage of all of this and, um, but uh, I heard them stand up out of that bed and I record, I started the camera like six times and had to stop it because it was just going to be such a long sequence. Um, But I kept starting it in my last clips, like 11 minutes long right now. And um, I can hear him coming in softly grunting behind her and, and she's walking in really, really slow. And the first time that they're going to clear cover and come into kind of an open area that I could shoot them is at 30 yards. And so she is much shorter than the cover is, um, but she's acting very intelligent. I didn't really see her at first, uh, but then all of a sudden, th- the first time I saw her, she locked onto me in that tamarack, and she's perpendicular to me, so I'm super silhouetted. And um, she's just looking at me. She's faking me out. She's trying to look away and then snapping her head back up. You know, she's looking away, but she's swiveling her ears towards me. So I'm breaking up the outline of my face with my the cam of my bow. I'm squinting my eyes and everything, and I'm trying to stay still, but I'm shaking this entire tree just standing there. Um, and finally she takes a couple steps forward and I'm like, all right, she's going to come into this clearing that bucks behind her. I didn't know it was him at the time. I knew it was a good buck, but I was like that he's the buck back there. And if I'm going to get an opportunity on whatever comes out, I need to draw now. So I drew because I knew that if I drew later the trail she was leading me on, she would see me clearly. I'd be, she'd be almost underneath me and I'd be drawing. And so I drew then. And she just took forever, man. Like Every minute, it seemed like she was taking five steps. And then she was slowing down, waiting, browsing, looking around. And so she was going super slow, and he was following her just as slow. And um, eventually, she got a little more into that clearing, and she lifts her tail and flickers it a bit, kind of wafting sent around. And I was like, okay, that's that's it. Like, he's going to come in. And sure enough, like, he comes up behind that cover, like, just rack, like, up like this, leaning back, like smell in the air, rub and brush, grunting. And, um, he comes in hard quartering two and he's walking up to me and I, I tried stopping him. I'm like up and right of the camera. I tried stopping him at like a, a steep quartering two angle, but he didn't hear me cause he was walking. I'm kind of thankful he didn't stop cause it would have been a steeper angle than I ended up getting. Um, but eventually he keeps working. And then I stop him. And at this point I had been drawn for two minutes and five seconds. Um, and, uh, I practiced it a lot in the off season, but, uh, Dude, that was so hard because I yeah. couldn't just I couldn't hold my bow down and like put my elbow in, you know, because I had to have that cam covering my face still. Uh, cause that sun was right on my face. And so I was like shaking, but I was like, dude, you like I was like, This is what you work for. You're just gonna give up this moment and and down draw and hope you can get away with something. He's like, No, like you're gonna stay steady, and you're gonna make a good shot. Like you just need to laser focus right now. And so I kept that draw up. And uh eventually he came in to twenty yards. I stopped him, steep quartering two, and I I put it I looked off of my my peep for a second, made sure he was at the angle I had asserted him at, and then came back on, acquired the target and and squeezed one off. And um dude, perfect shot. Absolutely perfect shot. I uh I destroyed the entirety of one lung and more than the back half of the second one. Uh arrow went to the ground sticking up on the other side and I get video he runs probably 5 bounds he gets about 20 30 yards stand still and I'm like oh no like what what happened you know like is he just looking for that doe and he's like you know not fatally hit did I did I misjudge range and backstrap him or something and all of a sudden I see him start to tip and sway and crash like Ugh. 15 seconds after I shot him and it, I just dude I lost it like I just lost it and, uh, yeah, dude, he's a, he's a big, big buck. He, I, I taped him out at like one fifty-two and five eighths, and I'm super conservative of my measurements. Like I've taken absolute minimums every time I measure everything. So, you know, uh, he'll probably realistically go around that or I don't know, maybe a little more, who knows, but, um. Dude, I get this I get the camera turned on me and I get I have a second angle with a GoPro going, I have the main camera and you can just see the tamarack shaking like this in the background cuz it's so thin and uh man, it was it was amazing. I called my dad and friends and got a I got a crew out there to help me drag out and uh it was hell. Um but it was something I'd gladly endure every day for the rest of my life. If I get to repeat that moment.
0: Oh man, that's, that's, that is awesome. And w- one, one thing I was thinking about there. So going back to the bed and where, you know, you found it and you, so basically you think this is a bed, like this is a spot that he kind of pushes a doe into. And so, cause he's able to defend that spot. So kind of like mm-hmm. for anyone's listening to like in Pennsylvania, that would be like when we have, so you have like a big clear cut and you have like a briar thicket. That's, In there, and it's like, all right, they want to get in there, kind of tuck her in there, and he kind of walks the outside every once in a while, checking it and making sure. And, And the buck I killed in West Virginia did. It was wide open. Like if you looked at it from like a ways away, you'd think it just, he just bedded in the wide open. But once you got down there, it was this little tiny area of taller grasses and just nasty briars mm. that were in there. And she was in the center of it, and he would just like do these circles around it. Mm-hmm. And you know, I found his bed that was in there, and like it was just. It's interesting what they do with with a doe, and I think that's that's really. That's really interesting that you picked up on that, and yeah. Because that's always a tough, that's a tough thing to be able to find of like where is a where is a buck gonna you know lock down with yeah. a doe at, and you know that's a that's a hard time period to be able to hunt. And I think you know even myself and and a lot of others like when you think of that lockdown time frame, especially if you don't know exactly where they're at, you think oh I just gotta wait until it gets off that doe and mm-hmm. comes back. But being able to find that spot where where it's at that's that's pretty incredible
1: yeah and and the way that you first thank you (laughs) i appreciate that but um yeah i made that exact correlation too like that's exactly what i saw in hill country like it's a lot of times it's like young poplars with a whole bunch of thicket around it uh just just the nastiest multiflower rows like stuff like that yeah green briar everything that as nasty as you can imagine and um there will be areas like that in hill country identified that have those poplars on the outside of it a lot. And my buddies will be like, dude, there's rubs everywhere. Like this whole line is like the area. I'm like, no, dude, he's in there. Like he's in that core area. This is young bucks or him. This is him either defending his territory or it's young bucks wanting to be in there, wanting to be with that doe and trying to be aggressive and draw him out. Like, and so, so there's a lot of times that people get mixed up and hunt too far off the edge of that. Or, or don't they think they're being too aggressive or, you know, stuff like that. And that's when it's a macro area. You know, if it's really small, like, get in there. You, the edge yeah. is probably good enough if it's really small. Um, yep. But when it's larger, like, you know, sometimes you have to push that limit a little bit. And um, that's what I was seeing with this area. Like, you'll see on the video, um, this was three tamaracks that were very mature that formed a root ball big enough for probably four deer to bet on. And it was just him and her comfortable in there. Big, big, big rub blazed in there. Um, you know, the bark wasn't shredded. Like, it was a large, kind of like flat rub. You know how they're kind of smooth? Like, he had to have wide brow tines, and he had to have not a lot of trash on his bases to make a rub like that, and that's exactly what I shot. And so, um, you know, I'm very confident with him doing the exact same thing last year. And then around that, on the perimeter, 50 yards around, it wasn't, it was thick, but, but you know, there were smaller rubs and rubs of varying size, varying height. That's kind of the key to me is... When you see varying height, you know it's multiple deer. But uh, rubs of varying height um, on equal type of ground, so it's not like he's you know getting a disadvantage on one ground and an advantage on the other. Uh, rubs in the same situations of varying height, which were others trying to intrude on his lockdown with that doe, and so um, yeah, I, I I was confident where he would shift to um, the, the area. I actually ended up sitting um, was 250 yards from where I had ever gotten a picture of him. I didn't get a picture of him that day or the day before, but I got a picture of that doe heading into that bedding area. So like I knew the doe that he was on. Like I, I was like, all right, she came in there. She didn't come out of it. No other bucks were running around it. It's not close enough for subordinate bucks to be going after it. Like he's in a different bed heading in a different direction. It's probably because I just hunted there. And one of the other things I keyed on too is, um, you know, we talk about tracks a lot, but in the cattails, especially when that water gets a little higher, there's no opportunity for tracks because you're walking in water the whole time. Well, actually, and I learned this from Joe Rentmeister, um, mud splashed up onto the cattails. Like, geez, dude, that is like going into a bedding area, seeing that. Oh my gosh. Especially when it's still wet. That is like, dude, he's there. You know, that's like, you just got a cell cam picture and he's on his way to your stand right now is what it feels like you know, like there's certain sign that you just see that it's like glaring red, like glaring lights in your head that it's going to happen. And, and I'd seen that on the hunt before and you didn't come out and I was like, okay, shifted. And then on the way in, like, yeah, I saw it. And I was like, dude, he's in there. Like he's going to come out. I've never once seen him here. I've never tried to hunt here, but like, I know that this is the situation that it happens, you know? Um, and man, dude, it's just so cool to to at some point in your life, target a specific buck. You got to be one of those guys that doesn't care if you kill, you know? Um, and killing one in Ohio and killing one in Nebraska probably helped quite a bit with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but you know, in any case, I'm okay with not punching a tag. And and you truly have to be in it for something other than the antlers at that point. But if you're in it for, like, the learning, man, that satisfaction of being after a specific deer and killing him especially if you don't have all the cell camera data in the world or you don't have historical pictures of him and you did it according to your woodsmanship like that's a that's a innate feeling you know it, it's a really amazing thing that's kind of primal and i think kind of predates predates uh, modern hunting is to go out there and succeed on your specific quarry and then use it to provide for you and your family i, I just think it's a really special thing
0: yeah. And, 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 I don't, so I don't have much experience in marshes other than I hunted late season Ohio and some marshy areas years ago, but not, I wouldn't even really call it. I mean, I didn't spend a whole lot of time there, so I don't understand it enough. But like, as far as like the cell cam thing, it's, it doesn't seem like it's an area that you could necessarily, even if you had it plastered, you know, quote unquote, pattern a deer, see him daylight three days in a row and then go in there and move. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but like, I just know that stuff doesn't work. And, you know, I was just talking to somebody else the other day about like the areas that we hunt and you know, I'm seeing cell cameras everywhere and everyone's like, oh, that's, that sucks. You know, cell cameras everywhere. I'm like, yeah, but what these people in my head are doing are they're, they're not going to hunt unless they see this buck and one, they're already too late and and then they're going to get frustrated because they're not seeing the buck in that spot. So, like, I looked at it as, as an advantage as long as I can control I my own self. Where I, so I, I put cell cameras in, I ran more cell cameras than I ever did this year, but I had them all in basically in different areas focus on the rut just to see how the temperature of things were heating up. You know, that's mm-hmm. kind of what I used it as. But, and even for myself, knowing that you shouldn't rely on that, it was hard to like not be like, oh you know this is happening over here do i do i abandon this to go to go you know and it's it's a hard hard thing to do but um you know that's 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 really cool i i definitely think that was that's that's pretty awesome the way that you looked at that now i i want to hear about the the ohio trip and like the the hill country aspect of it during the rut and like what what you kind of learned on that trip and how how it kind of came together
1: yeah um yeah, and real quick to touch on your, your cell camera point, I do think guys shoot themselves in the foot a little more often with cell cameras than they don't. And I would say if you're if you're a person that's trying to reduce that the most you can, the reason I deploy any camera besides just surveying purposes is to answer, I, I look at them as very important assets, It's to answer one question that I don't have that I need as a necessary piece to the puzzle to kill a deer. So like I said, I, I only call it my target buck if I know what deer it is, obviously, if I know where he is, why he's there, and what direction he's traveling and at what time of year. It's almost always the time of year that it's a little bit trickier to nail down. And so I use cell cameras to get an immediate feel for time of year. But that's again, like if I would have guessed the time of year on that spot, um I would have probably been a little bit wrong. I would have thought he made it a little more early season and, and been hanging out there early season because of the cool temperature, et cetera, and nearby food sources. Um, but it was able to help me at least get a feel for when that buck was going to be there. And, you know, there's a lot of work that had to happen from, from there on out. But um, I would say if you're generally using cell ca- cameras or cell cameras in general in that fashion, and you're not just relying on them for your hunts, like then it's benefiting you more than it's hurting you. Yeah. But, but people are literally just telling you where they hunt and telling you when they hunt because, you know, you, you know when good deer are in the area, you know when they're probably going to start cruising through, but you know when it's probably not crossing their cell camera to that extent
0: well you know it's like there's this this spot that i hunted this year um i don't know middle of october towards the late and i had to i had to cross this river i took waders in and then climb up the side of this mountain and i was like i get up there and i see a cell camera i'm like you gotta be kidding me like i hadn't <laughs> seen any you know other hunter sign there and there was also i mean either someone did what i did or there was also um, an illegal ATV trail that went through there, so maybe they use that. But I don't want to. I don't want to completely discredit the person and where they could have put in the work. And I don't want to say that. But I was like, this person's got this here. He ain't coming in here unless he's getting pictures. So like, that's that's uh like you know I'm looking at it, I'm like okay yeah there's there's this sign of a, another hunter here, but that doesn't mean that he's hunting here much, you know, and it's one of those, you know, so that's, I've tried to like shift my mindset of just being negative about cell cameras, seeing them everywhere to like, how can I use that to my, cause I talk to so many guys all the time, whether it's on social media or in person, it's like, yeah, man, no, nothing's showed up in my cameras, you know, and they, they don't hunt it because they're not getting those pictures, you know, and, and I just look at my past and what when I've had success, you know, I didn't have cell cameras forever. Like I just started running them a few years ago and, and a lot of it was off of just that historical data for the most part. And I'll check cameras if it's a rainy Sunday where we're not allowed to hunt in PA or if I'm heading into a spot, you know, I check them, but I didn't, I always used it for data purposes more so than I did like real time hunting things. And it's also just to learn what's, what's in that area. And then, Use your your scouting and your ability to read the the area to be able to work off of that. But you know, as someone that's integrated cell cameras into my life now, it's like being careful to make sure that they don't control you know my my moves and my my uh, my thoughts there. So
1: yeah, no, a hundred percent. Yeah, I completely agree. But I didn't want to distract from your Ohio question there.
0: No, uh, no, <laughs> no. That's a very good point.
1: Um. Yeah. So um. To to talk about Ohio. um, Yeah. I So Ohio was another one of those eye-opening experiences. I feel like I learned very different things um, in, in each of my kills this year. I learned the importance of observing in Nebraska. I learned the importance of giving up a hunt in order to discover something about what you're doing and kind of treating that or bumping deer like they're, I, I call them like a sacrificial lamb. Like, Like, I'm going to sacrifice a hunt, or I'm going to sacrifice this mature buck that I plan to bump to learn what all the other ones are doing, or most of the other ones are doing, and apply it to other scenarios. I learned that in Nebraska, and immediately I wanted to implement that Wisconsin. Didn't always work like that, because it's very hard to observe them in nine-foot-tall cattails. Um, (laughs) And so I had to adapt again. Ohio, what I learned is not all situations are like you expect them to be. And, and sometimes you have to break yourself of habits. So a huge thing I learned in Ohio, and Jake and I have talked about this a lot, is the pressure situation completely different. And especially, I should qualify, this is in like peak seeking of rut there. Uh, this is uh, October 30th, 31st to November 6th time timeframe. Um, that's like the the peak of their travel it seemed like november 1st was insane there um but it's a very low deer density area so the probability that the deer you bumped the day before is the same one running these gigantic 400 500 foot steep hill ridge systems and he's repeating that same route every day when he has miles to travel to even get back down to the bottom that he started in that probability that being the same deer is super low so like you can bump deer and they might incur They might encounter a whole bunch of stuff on that route they have to run that's miles long and up and down hills, and they might not even have a choice but to return back by you the next day. Or a lot of the times in low deer density areas, it's another deer, but it's just a a fresh deer. It's a deer that didn't know you were there. It's a deer running a rut route, so it's not even going to care a whole lot about your ground scent anyways. Um, And where in Wisconsin I bump a deer in an area, they vacate because it's just a chain reaction a lot of the time too. So like I can bump a doe and know my target buck's out of there. Um, But in Ohio, that deer could blow down a ridge and make all the racket in the world and not a deer is within a mile to hear him anyways. Yeah, And and, and the deer that are far away are going to come back. And so um, I wanted to do that strategy of like, hey, it's peak rut. I'm going to sit a a bunch of different funnels and transitions and I'm going to find what is going to work best for me. And I'm going to keep hammering that. And so um, I, I went into that strategy. I initially adjusted to the lower density of sign. I put a lot more stock in the fresh sign I was seeing. That was my quick kind of adaptation I had made, according to Jake's advice. Um, and I got on a lot of like good bucks, like stuff that a lot of guys would probably be pretty happy to shoot in just like an out-of-state trip. Um, but I didn't want to just like be one of those guys that's just slinging arrows and like filling a tag to fill a tag. I felt like I had killed a deer that was a little bit below my standards in Nebraska, which is fine. You know, it's my first out of state buck ever second spot in stock hunt ever. I was fine with making that kind of, you know, that, that qualification there, but um, in Ohio, I didn't really want to do that. And so I passed in a few deer that I probably shouldn't have um, got great film of it. It was really nice. It was a lot of fun. And I learned a lot of stuff, but every time I would shift off of a spot that I'd hunted the day before that I bumped a deer, I would sit in another new area, I'd get on other deer but Jake would send me a text of a cell cams, and he just always started the same way. He'd be like, hey, do you want to puke right now? And I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, so there's like three target bucks, like three really nice bucks like going right through where you sat yesterday. I was like, damn it. And so I kept doing this cycle where bucks were passing this area I was in, and I was like, well, they're not going to do the same thing the next day because, you know, they never do that in Wisconsin. Well, it would be other bucks, you know, doing the same thing the next day. And so it, he just... And I should qualify this too with, like, Jake works harder than anyone I know at anything, and it happens to be a deer hunting that he works that hard at. Um, And he immediately was putting me in areas that I firmly believe are the best in his entire area of Ohio, which was incredibly selfless of him. Um, You know, there's a lot of... You know, just working your way in, making the right setup, and and gaining a little bit of information that, that I had to do, but I, I put most of the credit to this hunt to him. Uh, I'm not going to be one of those guys that comes on a podcast and say I'm the shit when like someone helped me quite a bit. So yep. a l- huge credit to that guy. You know, I'm not going to front about about where some of the success comes from here. But um, but yeah, I was rotating between these areas, and I, f- I was finally like, you know, I just have to repeat on this spot. It's going to happen. Like I'm I'm going to kill a deer. And so uh, I was down on my last day and I sat the spot that it was supposed to happen in the morning and um, the deer came right up the route like I expected. But instead of progressing towards me on this relief bench and continuing towards where hot does were just two days before, he decided to cut straight up like 50 to a hundred vertical feet and walk into a wide open clear cut that was cut maybe 10 days earlier. So, like, everything, <laughs> no idea why. I was like, and he wasn't a giant, but it was like, you know, last day it was a good buck, and, you know, I and I would have been happy with him. I didn't get a really good look at him either. The camera did, but I didn't. Um, so, I was like, what's going on? I was like, why? Why is this happening? And um, then eventually, I think it was like ten forty or something like that, 11, something like that. Um, I had a buck come running in, and I actually had some people set up like down, they'd set up upwind of me, but kind of on an angle. It's like a just off wind to me. And uh, they rattled in this, um, in this kind of beginning of a drainage at the top side of a drainage. And it was really steep and there was a relief trail. And so the rattles, the rattling was echoing. And so I think what happened is that buck came in, probably smelt them right away and decided to keep bouncing through towards where a lot of the deer were rising up in the morning and he came in excited, uh, came in at like 20 yards right to me and a quartering two shot and, you know, got it all in film and everything. And I I shot him and originally I thought the shot was farther back and a little worse than it was, but after reviewing the footage, he actually fell over on camera, um, just, huh. just a glimpse of it, you know, just, just barely, you could see with highly edited and zoomed in footage that he was just kind of tipped. And I was like, oh, well he's dead. Let's go drive another hour and a half back out and. Scout walk back up five hundred foot of elevation and drag this deer out, but um dude, that was just that was so special um to experience that moment with him and and uh kind of see all the things that went into it and have like guys that were you know previously complete strangers give up their time hunting and and be part of an experience with me that that just like was like, extremely special and then to learn from Jake and like like see about his process i mean that huge eight that he's after that's like what seven or eight years old now he during that trip um had it in range and just had a whole bunch of drama go on with it and to see how he responds to that kind of stuff and see how he you know is a good family man and everything was like really really cool to me so like it was in the most you could possibly squeeze out of a out-of-state trip and it got done at the last few hours of the last day, which is exactly what I want to happen every time. So I can get all the experience, but it was a race against time to try and get back and kill that giant 12. And unfortunately <laughs> I kind of failed on that route, but, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't in hindsight, I wouldn't take anything back.
0: No, no, that's, that's absolutely awesome, dude. And, 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 uh, one, I like that you gave credit to, to Jake there. And obviously I didn't know the story behind it, but I think that's honorable, you know, like in, we, we all have those experiences and that's, what's great about having great friends and, and being able to have that to lean on and then, you know, for you to be that person to other people. And like, I, I I don't know. I always strive to, to do that, surround myself around really good people. And it, you know, you give a little, you get, get a little, and it's just, it's, it's pretty nice. But, uh, also, um, one thing you noted there is something that like for all the years that I've spent hunting hill country and places is the thing about in the same area. Mm -hmm. Like that man, like during, especially during the rut, it's just like, you don't know what's going to come through there and these deer on these routes and they're, they're moving. And it's just like, you find a good spot. And especially if you're not hunting a specific deer, like, you know, you weren't on that trip. Mm -hmm. It's like, man, that's, it's, it's so, it it can be so good to stay in that spot versus, you know, jumping around. Like I, I've told the story here before, but when I, I think it was around 2018 or so, I, the years prior, I was just on a tear. I felt like where I was just doing really good and I was killing everything and, and, and having a lot of success. And then I started getting, you know, social media really seemed like it blew up and a lot of content out there. And I'm like, mobile hunting of like, First time in is always the best. And and I do believe that it is true for specific places and specific times. But yes. it's like I've known what's worked for me up to this point, but I decided to let outside influence completely change my tactics. And I started bouncing around and I was just doing the same thing, missing, you know chasing something that, you know, if I would have just sat in that same place, like I always said that it was funny when I didn't know a lot and I would just sit in the same place that I found, you know, a good spot during the rut. If I could sit there for seven days that I was going to kill a good deer or have an opportunity at a good deer. And right. that's, you know, something that I learned in the low deer density areas that they have to cruise to go find other does and do that. And we just talked about it, which will be in uh previous week's podcast, with my dad and them, our population in the areas that we hunt is actually growing a little bit. And I felt like it made it, it made some of those travel areas during the normal seeking phase, Mm -hmm. not as much like it felt like for us, it went from scrapes to chasing. And it was just like, I never found that seeking phase until this, the last week of the season, which was like that November 12th through the 16th standpoint Mm -hmm. where they started doing that. It just seemed like they had the does. They already knew where they were at. They were close by, and every buck was just had its had its uh, doe already, and it, it just made it different than what yeah. we had seen in the past with populations seemingly growing. It's not like there's deer everywhere, but <laughs> it was just different, and uh, that that was that was interesting to me, but. Yeah, I thought I think that's a that's a really good observation, and and uh, you know, unfortunately, at the beginning you learned that kind of the hard way with seeing things ha- happen, and that's what's all, another negative with cell cameras is where it kicks you in the balls when you <laughs> when you when you when you do that, you know, and right, and uh, I did have that happen this year. So I'd hunted three days in one spot, and October thirty first was freaking magical. I had deer everywhere, bucks running. I saw my target buck. All this stuff. It was great Hunted the next day. I don't think I saw a single deer dark to dark. And, uh, then I moved and I went to this other spot and it was actually a completely different area. I just, I felt like I needed to give it a little bit of a break in that spot. And it was in this bottom that I just know that this, this community scrape. And it was actually a place that my ex-girlfriend, uh, years ago had shot one of the biggest deer that that's been killed by a woman in Pennsylvania at this spot. And I hadn't been there in like five or six years. And I was just like, I just went in there on a whim, scouted it, saw that the scrape was still active years later, you know, looked at the tree that I used to hang in and was like, all right, there we go. And I climbed up in it, not really having a whole lot of Intel, hung a camera there, got a nice, nice, really nice buck there on camera first day in that spot. And I hung there and then I was just like, I need to go back to the other spot. So I left after one day. And then that buck showed up the, you know, the next day in daylight there. And that's just, that's the nature of it. And sometimes you're going to get burned and you got to make decisions on the fly and, and you just, you learn from it. And man, like, but this year I did feel like my historical data, as far as learning is when it comes to the rut with does, that came into heat at specific times based on cameras and personal observations was almost spot on again. Like, and that, and that, that can change, especially when those does get shot or anything. But like, you know, I was like last year, this spot, October 28th to 30th was freaking killer as far as what was on my cameras. And this year was the exact same thing other than my camera. didn't pick up most of it, but I was there to see it. Like mm. I saw seven bucks in one day, which is like the most I think I've ever seen. And or six or seven. But none of them went in front of that camera. It it's was funny just like, how that
1: happens, right? Sh- 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 you know, you're you like know, going best all, day ever. Not a single yeah. deer on camera. Again, again, that's why cell cameras just shoot you in the foot, you know. Yeah. That's so funny. But keep keep it, going, it, I interrupted you there.
0: No, no, but I and the the one thing I will say with cell cameras though that, that can help and what I use is like temperature during the rut as far as how areas are are starting to pick up Mm -hmm. if I see a doe that goes and lays down next to the scrape and my camera's on you know that next day is going to be fire there it's like they they sit there and they kind of wait and they're just like yeah I'm ready you know and then they might move off but it's like the next day the bucks just like filter into that spot and I so I use does a lot during that time time of year with cameras to kind of give me a little bit of a um A temperature on what's what's going on.
1: Yeah, and and so to kind of echo that, and and to give you a bit of a a a shout out here, um, and how like we've been talking about this whole time, like taking what you learn with a grain of salt and then trying it out for yourself. Um, this is something that I tried out for myself that I've already know this works. I've done it a lot, and, and obviously it's solid advice, but. Um, I I sent you this picture of this deer with a message saying like, hey, I learned a lot from your podcast and I wanted to actually tell you specifically what I had written down. So I I made a note sheet of me chasing my target buck, right? And I I noted everything I learned. Um, I noted every specific observation, every theory I had, and if they were disproved or right. And then I noted tactics I had heard that I think would apply to this. So you had a podcast with Andy Mann, Garrett Prawl on October 4th, of 22, and yeah. um, and kind of like the the purpose of the podcast I think was like historical data versus, historical fresh versus time. real time. Yep, yeah, yep. And so, um, Andy said being aggressive and getting in there is just learning. You're building your instincts and getting better at it over time. And like, how much have we talked about today? Building your instincts, like even if you screw up, you're learning. He said there's a lot to be said by just going in there, going with your gut, and you're gonna screw up, but you fine tune that. So like again. Spot on. This is not cameras and, and just pictures and stuff like that. Like, you're going to go in there. You're going to screw it up a lot of times. So you're going to not have sat the spot you should have, and you're going to get the deer on camera a lot the day after. And it's going to be a kick in the balls, like we've been talking about. But it's in that that you learn, as so long as you don't just beat yourself up over it. And so I just think a, a huge thing that is kind of like a theme here is going in after fresh sign um, and historical data if you have it. And then not just relying on them sell cameras. And if you fail, it's only just you learning. It's only you yeah. forming that instinct, checking if you were right, and and learning to hunt this specific deer in that way. And even if you're not on a specific deer, the whole other stuff we talked about without estate hunts is like you may gain some knowledge that's going to all of a sudden trigger a light bulb to go off on your head, and you're going to be able to apply it to the situation when it matters most. And, um, you know, I. I took stuff I learned in hill country, applied it to marshes and it paid off in a huge way. And I think a lot of people can kind of learn that and, and learn a skill that will help them in many, many situations and beyond that, just be confident in yourself.
0: Yeah. And you're, you're you're so spot on. It's like, get in there, try things and don't be worried. Like, you know, this year, like I've spent, you know, I spent my whole life, hunting in these types of areas in Pennsylvania and the big woods and I hunted hard for three weeks and I don't have a deer to be able to show for it yet at the, at the point of recording this. And, and I don't look at that as like a complete failure. Now I kind of do because like, I, I I love trying to tag out an archery season, but just in this season alone, the amount of things I learned just like observing and see, like, it's, it's crazy. Like, you know, I, I've been hunting this and I'm not that old. So it's not like my whole life, you know, like I'm, like I'm 60 or 70. Old but man like, though. <laughs> yeah. But, but, you know, I, I do feel like in my short 31 years of being on this earth that I've spent more time than a lot of people that are 60 or 70 just in the amount of time in the woods. So I, I do have some, ex- you know, ex- the experience there. But I've learned so much and it all kind of captivates, you know, when it will come come together. And I do believe it will, you know, whether it be gun season, whether it be late season, whatever, like I, it just helps you going forward. And you mentioned in Ohio and it's the last thing that, that I'll bring up here, but was in Ohio where, you know, you got to see that whole week and then you killed in the last day and that's the perfect scenario. And that's, that's so spot on yet. I will say that when I'm in that moment, like I stress myself out sometimes of like, <laughs> yeah. Oh man, like, what am I doing? I, I need to figure this out. Like I, I, you know, I just want to shoot a deer. But then once you shoot that, you know, you actually, you know, shoot that deer, you're like, man, I wish I, I could keep going. I could keep doing more and like d- doing that thing. And it's just, it's so funny. And that's why I love, I love deer hunting. And, and whether it's focusing on uh, a specific deer, or if it's just trying to hunt a new area and just, shoot a deer whatever it's just fun and and each every aspect of it is cool and then and not every part of it is fun in the moment uh by any means and like (laughs) we've done a couple podcasts here recently that were like explaining the hard times of it and the mental struggles and going through that but when it does come together it feels so good and when you have seasons like like you did here like that is freaking awesome and Anybody that's listening, you know, if you're having a tough season right now and you hear Jacob talking about, oh, I killed a buck here, killed a buck here, did this, you know, that understand that, you know, that it wasn't the amount of work that went into that ahead of time led into this. And also sometimes that just doesn't work out. And that's, and I was so close to
1: it, not working out. Like I had, I had, I had one sit left at this, at the end of this hunt. If that if I screwed up or that box would come in I have like I have one or two hunts left and so like I t- to put it into perspective like if I didn't go out of state I still don't believe I tag out on that 12 right away you know maybe I would have killed him while I was in Ohio but like I put in at least like it's probably closer to 400 but at least 300 miles of scouting spread the widest net i ever had with cameras had gotten so close so many times like I have a lot of buddies that got great bucks within range and just couldn't execute, you know, not necessarily faults of their own, but like, it's just, you can't be in this for the result. Like you just can't, you're yeah. not going to find success if you're in it just for the antlers. Cause you're going to get discouraged. You're going to get complacent. You're not going to believe in yourself. And then when it happens, you're not going to be able to make it happen. And so like you, I, I just think that's a huge key. It's like, I was very willing to, to fail. And I was extremely close to it you know every other year this would have been the only deer i got a chance at was my wisconsin deer besides this year and um you know i I was fortunate that it worked out but we're like if i'm in college right now and i'm not in work where i can request off and get vacation and and i can miss school if i'm in college right now i'm not doing those out-of-state hunts and if one of those hunts goes differently we're not having this conversation at all, you know. Nothing. Ha- so like we're very minute distances away no matter how much work I put in for it not happening at all. So it's like you know, don't get yeah. down on yourself, you know, like like I'm I I'm extremely lucky to be in this situation, but there's a lot that needs to happen in order to even allow that luck to become opportunity to
0: create that luck. Yeah. And, 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 and yeah, but it's actually kind of crazy. You think about it, you know, two of those hunts So take Nebraska out of the picture and you look at, say, you know, you had your home state in Wisconsin, and you're going on one out of state rut trip to Ohio. You were one day on each of those from that, not working out. And Mm -hmm. like you said, like, and, and just being like, man, I had a great year, but, Right, And I have to, you know, work harder next year. And, but, but it did. And, and, and Johnny always says he doesn't believe in luck. I, I do believe in luck to a point, but I believe that you can create luck and, mm-hmm. and, and kind of, you know, almost like, almost like putting a blow down and steering luck in your direction, you know, kind of like a deer, like when you're trying to funnel them in like a, that's, I guess that's how I look at, at luck. Like I'll take luck any day that I can, that I can get it but all that work that went into it i believe led to to your success and um yeah that's that's absolutely awesome dude and and you know people like people like you and you know even and Jake too have motivated me because like since i think it was 2014 the first year i started measuring this where I said I was gonna do 200 miles every spring, that was like my goal. And then you guys keep like, you oh, know, I'm doing 300 <laughs> miles. Jake's like doing like a thousand. I'm like, yeah, what the heck, saying. like I gotta, I gotta, I gotta step this up. Like I, I'm not working hard enough. I thought it's, I was working hard, but <laughs> the quality of miles
1: matters a lot more. I gotta say, yeah. like, like I, I don't like track every mile, but I know how much. Like I'll track a few days, and I'll know if I walk more or less than that in a day. Yeah, and it, I blew 300 out of the water. I know that. Uh, and in marshes it's a lot different than walking three hundred hills. I'd rather walk three hundred hills, honestly. Um oh, I believe that. it. I mean I, I just I went through two phones like having them frozen and muck and like you no know, it I, I went several times in ice water up to my belly button, like that it, it it was earned this year. But um I, I will say like you always have a choice, you know? Like you have a choice to roll over and give up. You have a choice to be in it for the wrong reasons. Like right now, Bo, you have a choice to be like, you know, I busted my butt. I'm, I'm, I'm sick of not having the success. I'm just going to go hang out with whoever. And, and I'm just going to take the rest of the season off and I'll go learn and, and I'll get back at him next season. You could do that. I could have done that. I could have just cried myself to sleep about that 12 that I was after. And, and i am sure plenty of people would have been like, I understand, but like you always, and even in my Nebraska, Trip. I had shot a buck at an upward angle at forty yards. I shot him through the back straps and I didn't recover him. I the a couple days later had the biggest buck of my life in front of me and I screwed that up at three freaking yards. And that afternoon after I screwed it up, I killed. Like I could always have chosen to give up. And so you don't even have the opportunity for luck to happen. You know you can call it whatever you want it. You can call it luck. I know what it is, but. You know, I know I put in the work for it. You can call it whatever you want, but if I don't make the choice to succeed and fight on anyways, I don't have the opportunity for you to even interpret what my success means to you. And same with you right now, Bo. Like, I know that you're going to go out there and you're going to grind and do whatever you need to do to get it done. And you have full confidence in that. But you know that even if it doesn't happen, you know, you aren't choosing to be in it for the result. And I think that's why you'll succeed is because you're in it for the right reasons and you're always pushing on.
0: Yeah, dude. And, and I'll just leave it with one last story and then we'll close this one out. But mm-hmm. 2020, I was hunting a specific deer that I hunted all the way through 2022. Ended up getting killed by somebody else in 2022. But in 2020, I had him at 10 yards um, with my bow on the ground, October 30th. <gasps> and I didn't get a shot opportunity. It was in the latest video that I had. I was using, uh, that was the one year I used that Garmin sight. And not it's not the sight's fault. It's my fault. But I there was some brush and I couldn't get a range to come up and I was like in the heat of the moment I forgot you just have to double tap it to get fixed pins and I mean he was right there you know 10-15 yards and wide open and the doe would run past me and he'd stop to kind of see what she was doing because she picked up on me after she ran by and it didn't work out and I literally just like I remember going to my knees on the ground and just being like I suck. And like, you know, this is a 160 inch deer, biggest deer I'd ever shot with, with my bow. He was right there. Things worked out, but they didn't, you know, one of those things And I was just like, I did throw myself a pity party for a good 45 minutes. But then oh, yeah. after that I actually made myself just climb a random tree kind of in the area they ran just to get my mind back of like just doing the thing again and just getting to work. And I didn't kill that archery season, went to rifle season, and I killed the biggest buck of my life that year with Johnny. Like, I owe a lot of that to Johnny because it was one of his spots. Um, but it ended up working out, and it's just like, you know, if I would have been like, oh, the, you know, that didn't work out, and like, oh, I got to carry, you know, a gun tag. That was the last time I had a gun tag, and I'm like, oh, I don't want to do this and whatever. I'm just going to hang out at camp and drink beer and and, you know, eat pizza which that sounds really good actually but like <laughs> it was just one of those you know i just i felt that the fact that just kept doing the thing and just kept doing the thing over and, and switch you know not you can let yourself be down and analyze the situation see what went wrong but then figure out how to pick yourself back up johnny always tells me you know whenever i've made a bad shot or i've done anything he's like can't cry over spilled milk and just got to, you got to move along. And that's some of the best advice that, that I've had. And cause everybody goes through whether they miss, they make a bad shot, they screw something up. You know, my dad had a year where it'll be on the podcast where he screwed up number of times that he's like, normally he's like, I may screw up once or twice a year, but I usually get it done. He's always like third times the charm. And he's like, this year was not that case. I screwed up all three times, you know, and, and doing stupid things. And, And that's what happens. But the people that continue to keep going until that bell rings and, you know, and I, I get not everybody has all the time off or they have kids or they have other things, but when you have that time available and you're able to, you know, make that work, that's to me, that's what breeds the people that are successful year in and year out. And the people that, that, that I respect from a, from a deer hunting perspective to, to To be successful, and and again, it comes down to what you said. It's not all about that end result. It's what you're doing to get to that, and that's you know the ultimate end of it. But, anyways, I'm done with my rant. Couldn't agree more, man. My rant. Couldn't
1: agree more. No, no, dude, you're you're spot (laughs) on. That's exactly what people need to hear this time of year. Anyways, and and every time of year. But yeah, I could not agree more.
0: I'm speaking to myself. I actually have a mirror (laughs) behind the screen and I'm like,
1: you got to keep going. Yeah. You got like the cock (laughs) in the back of your head going right now. (laughs) Carry the boats. Yeah. Yeah,
0: Right. Uh, uh, But anyways, well, Jacob, thank you for coming on, dude, man. This was great. I really enjoyed uh, this conversation and I I would like you to tell everybody, you mentioned your YouTube channel a few times, but you didn't mention the name of it. So if you want to mention that, I'll throw it in the notes as well, but anywhere people can follow along with your stuff. I know I'm going to have to check out some of these videos.
1: (laughs) Thanks, Bo. I appreciate it. Yeah, it was an it was an honor to be on here. Really, really enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, my YouTube channel is the Wild Calling. Um, yeah, so I on Instagram and Facebook. On Instagram, it's Wild Calling Outdoors, but everything else should be the Wild Calling. Um, and there's a big story I'll release some point on why it's named that. But um, yeah, so that's where all my hunts this year are going to be released. Uh, I have some of my Nebraska footage on the Hunting Beast as well, but I have kind of a more my perspective story on on my channel for it but if you want to see some of my past kills they're also on the hunting beast uh, everything they do there is obviously pretty great too to uh, get a very raw real perspective but um i have all of my my scouting and stuff on my channel and then i do a little bit higher higher budget time consumption editing <laughs> for my kills so they're a little bit more uh friendly to your entertainment purposes but but, yeah, I, dude, I cannot tell you enough how much I appreciate uh, this opportunity to come on here and talk with you, Bo. It, it was a blast.
0: Yeah, man. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it. And uh, do you have any more tags left? You done?
1: Um,